You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB or go ahead and follow at Summit Hoops, two T's in honor of Pat, for your 24-7 basketball coverage. You can get our app as well to make sure if anything happens in the world of women's basketball, you are on top of it. And I was just talking to her a little bit uh, before we came on the air, but uh, Tori Jankoska, I- I've written enough about you that... The moment you were drafted, Imani Boyette, uh, who uh, was covering the draft for us as well, looked across the room and shouted, Howard, your favorite just got drafted. So this is a real honor for me to be able to chat with you. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm happy to be on here. I want to start by the path that got you to basketball. You were not... Uh, limited in the paths you were able to take, and you lettered in volleyball, soccer, track and field in high school. What was it about basketball that, A, made you fall in love with the game, and B, made it be the path for you to pursue? Honestly, it just was, um, it was my passion. I mean, I played volleyball, yes, I loved it, and it was fun. Um, And then I played soccer and uh you know ran track and they were all fun but it just wasn't anything I was super passionate about I didn't want to spend you know a whole bunch of extra time on my soccer skills and my volleyball skills um and basketball is really you know I would go in the gym and shoot and I didn't care if I had a rebounder or anything like that it was just um, something I was real passionate about and something I wanted to spend all my time doing do you remember a moment that you realized basketball was it for you um, I I think it was just when I was younger, um, playing AAU in like seventh and eighth grade, and um, you know how much fun I had with it, and and actually how you know how good I was at basketball at that time, and um, I just wanted to keep getting better. And so when the time came to be able to stay in state, you know, where you'd have been such a star in high school, go to Michigan State. How, how do you go about making that choice? What, what was that decision like for you? You know, I grew up a Spartan fan. You know, that's our house was green and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, my high school was green and white. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so it was basically a wardrobe I've, thing more than anything. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah something like that. But uh, I went to the school. Um, I visited Coach Merchant. You know, we connected right away. And um, I went to Michigan, and, you know, I, I've hated Michigan since I was a kid, and I didn't know if my, my uh, you know, my visit there would change that or anything. But I just connected with Michigan State. The facilities really, like, blew my mind when I went and saw it. Um, walking in the Ox Gym, seeing those All-American banners on the wall, and um, it, it just was something I couldn't go without. I, I took my visit. Um, and a couple months later, I started not to be able to sleep at night. I was like, man, I, I, I don't know what's going on. But um, so the next week, I called Coach Merchant. And I went down there and committed. You know, I read an Instagram post of yours recently where you talked about seeing the banners when you walk in and reflecting on that now. Did that play a part, you think, in the type of game you had 
late in your senior season when you went to Michigan. And, I mean, the stat line sort of blows me away, but people who didn't see the game, I think, missed out on the impact you had at both ends of the floor. But to lead your team in not just points, but rebounds, assists, and if memory serves, block shots and steals as well. (laughs) I mean, were there more than the usual amount of emotions going through you because it was potentially your, and it turned out to be your last game playing at Michigan? Oh, for sure. I mean, Michigan is my favorite game all season, one of my favorite games all season, and that's been since my freshman year. Um, it just brings out that extra competitive juices in you. Um, it, You know, you want to win it not just because it's a game. You want to win it because, you know, it's a state thing. It's a, it's a recruiting. You want to win it for Coach Merchant because it makes her job a lot easier recruiting. Um, you want to win it for, you know, all those four buses – full of Michigan State fans that come to the game so it's just um it's an extra competitiveness it's a real rivalry that happens between us two and um you know it's it's kind of hard to explain the the level of um you know passion we put into that game what role did it play and and I I know you have a close relationship with coach Merchant as she battled uh health issues in your senior year how did that complicate things for you emotionally? And, and just what was that even like to be able to move beyond that, knowing you're in your senior season, figuring out what's coming next, and all at the same time being able to have the type of focus you had on the court? How did you balance all that? You know, it was tough, honestly. The toughest part of senior year was Coach Merchant, you know, uh, worrying about her health, you know, uh, once she was out. I would text her, you know, we did this fist bump before every game, and I would text her when we're getting off the bus, and it was it was just different. I'd look over to the sidelines, and it, it was weird having her not there. Um, it's just, you know, a level of respect, and, you know, I don't know, senior year, I was I was playing for myself and, and my teammates, but I would say the, the biggest person I was playing for that year was her. Mm-hmm. Um, I know how badly she wanted to be out there with us, and, and how you know, how much passion and energy and time she puts into the game for us. So I kind of just wanted to be able to um, hold down the fort while she was out and and have her, you know, have all the time she needed to get healthy. So for for you and for the team, you know, you you help lead that team uh, to an NCAA bid. And I think what's really striking to me, and, and, and these are numbers I talked about uh, a little bit before, it wasn't just in the Michigan game. You had the, and, and I'm just going to, uh, take you through, if you don't mind, uh, a couple of these numbers. You had a usage percentage of 28.5, so you were using you know, almost 30% of the possessions uh, to shoot the basketball, but by no means were you a shoot-only type of player. Uh, you had an assist percentage right around 30% as well, and you did all of this with a turnover percentage of less than 14, which is just a remarkable number for, quite frankly, any point guard, let alone a combo guard who's doing a bit of all of that. You add in the fact that you were, if you go by defensive points per possession, top 50 in the nation in terms of your defensive ability uh, to be able to stop players at the other end. And it, it isn't any wonder that there was a professional career calling to you on the other side of it. Did you see yourself as first round draft pick material at that point and if so when did that sort of click into place for you as, you know, look, this is where I think this is going. To be honest, 
Um, I did not think about the draft my senior year. Hmm. Um, I kept it in the back of my, you know, the back, way back in my head. Um, I just wanted to really be focused on Michigan State. That was my dream. Like, I, I know um, everybody's dream is different, but mine growing up was to play at Michigan State and just to, you know, play there and have an impact. And um, so I knew my ultimate dream was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, anything in the WNBA was a blessing, and, and I would have, you know, love the opportunity to play in the WNBA, and it would be truly, like, amazing. But I was focusing on um, Michigan State and, and how much I would miss, you know, everything there, the, the team I played for, the coaches I played for, the fans I played for. So, honestly, during senior year, I would say I did not think at the, about the draft at all. Um, you know, once once our final game was over, then it started, you know, coming into my mind a little bit more. So it's interesting, and and that's not dissimilar to a lot of the players you'll talk to who come uh, from college into the draft, but it's a real difference between how the men have an opportunity to process it and how the women have an opportunity to process it coming out of school, because the men obviously don't have the draft until the end of June, and for you, it was a handful of weeks. So if you could take me through how you go about figuring all of that out over the period of just a few weeks and how challenging that was uh, for you to be able to do. Yeah, it was it was difficult just because you really don't have much time. And I know um, at my position, a two guard was, it was going to be tougher because I'm, I'm smaller, you know, I'm not one of the long two guards that will be in the league. So right. I knew I would have to play point guard and that's not exactly my position. Um, well, that I am extremely comfortable with. I'd rather be at the two, but, you know, play someone if I'm needed. And um, so it was tougher for me just because I had to try and get as much, you know, point guard experience in and drills in as I could in that short amount of time. And then I was, you know, trying to con- – uh, any coaches that got in contact with me, asking them what I should be doing and, you know, the type of stuff that they wanted me to be doing uh, to get ready for, you know, training camp. So when you and Coach Merchant are talking about even your role going into senior year, there's not a conversation because the extent to which you were and and were really successful being ball dominant uh, was significant, not just in your ability to score, obviously, but your ability to find your teammates as well. It it wasn't part of the plan to be thinking about the next level at that point. That was simply uh, what Michigan State needed. I I know, for instance, Kelsey Plum, there was a lot of conversation about that with Coach Neighbors, about, look, here's what I think you're going to need to do to get to the WNBA, but it does vary, I know. Yeah, I don't think so. Just because Coach Merchant knew from the beginning that, you know, the WNBA was, would just be an added blessing for me. I didn't grow up dreaming to play in the WNBA. Hmm. I grew, grew up dreaming to play for Michigan State. So right. I think he did a great job, honestly, keeping my mind focused at the task at hand. Cause I know sometimes, um, you know, the seniors, they're, they're looking ahead to their ultimate dream, which is sometimes the WNBA. So they're looking ahead and trying to prepare for that and not um, – I wouldn't say they're not, you know, being all where they're at, but they're not – their focus is in two places, which is, I think, a little bit more difficult in hmm. my mind just because that's how my mind works. 
Well, and especially to play something at a high level, to have singular focus, uh, I know has to be helpful. But it is really interesting to me when you look uh, numerically also, just comparing your senior season to the senior season of Rachel Bannum. Uh, and I, I'm, I don't know what you think about that com- comparison, but my favorite <laughs> number to throw out there, uh, you know, and, and Rachel got a ton of press, and, and deservedly so. Uh, her points per possession uh, ended up at 1.039, one of the very best in the country. Uh, yours was 1.034. You were right there. You were in the 97th percentile per synergy. Uh, and so you were as efficient offensively as, you know, a very celebrated senior year. Do you see that as a comparison to A, the way you play, but B, the way your game can now translate at the next level? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, she's a great shooter, obviously, and I'm, uh, I would like to think, you know, that is one of my strengths as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel's great coming off ball screens, and, and that's definitely um, something that I could compare to as well. I know I like to get rebounds and run in transition. I think that's a different piece that, um, you know, she has different strengths that I don't have. And I think that one of mine would be, you know, getting rebounds and running in transition and scoring quickly. Um, I think that's one of the things that uh, is, is different between us. And then, you know, she she's mid-range. She has a, a release point where if you're – uh, even a little taller than her, you're still not going to get to the ball because it's so quick and her release point is so high. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what one thing that she has that I, you know, could improve on as well. So there's definitely similarities, but there's also differences. Um, I know I like to, you know, get into the lane and finish it with layups and, and finding people and getting them open um, uh, in that way too. So there's definitely similarities that I can see for sure. And that strength, and, and, and you, you speak to that, so that's really interesting to me as well. Relative to your size, if we're talking in terms of height, I understand uh, you know, the point that you're making, but getting into the lane and finishing, uh, during your time you know, in Chicago and, and you know, uh, playing preseason, even playing uh, you know, in the regular season game, how did you find that to be? Because it seemed to me that you would have the body strength that that would be uh, something that would translate, you know, even at the WNBA level. Yeah, uh, I think it does. I think to a point you have to learn to alter your shot on your own mm-hmm. uh, just because you're going to be getting there. And, you know, in practice I'd go up, uh, up against Imani and she's <laughs> one of the best shot blockers in the league. So you kind of have to um, work on it you know, altering your own shot because you know it's going to get altered in a game. Right. So that's it's definitely um, finishing against guards translates for sure. But finishing in the lane, um, you know, in a half-court set, it's, it's a little bit different just because you have to alter your shot so much um, compared to college. Uh, but, yeah, finishing in traffic and, and the strength, it, it definitely translates in transition and going up against just the guard. Now, that experience itself in Chicago, let, let's go through it, because it's to me it highlights a lot of the highs and lows that come with the current state of the WNBA. And so you were drafted uh, ninth overall. First of all, just take me through what you remember from that night, what that experience was. It wasn't a singular focus for you the way it has been for a lot of other players, like you said. So 
what's that like for you? What what are you thinking? What's going through your mind? And uh, you know, who are you with? What what was the experience like? I was at my house in Freeland. I had uh, some family and friends over. Coach Merchant came. Um, so I had really all of the people that were closest to me come. Mm-hmm. Um, now, did you know? Nervous. Did you know you were on the Chicago radar? Had you had conversations with other teams? You, you know, what were you thinking was likely to happen going in? Yeah, uh, I did talk to Coach Amber um, before. I talked to the Minnesota team, Seattle. Um, so I had talked to a bunch of coaches, mm-hmm. and in my thoughts, and a lot of you know, you hear what people say, and and in my opinion, I was going. You know, maybe twelve to um, to Minnesota. To Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Um, Seattle was had the fifteenth pick. They didn't have a pick before that. Uh, so I was thinking, if I didn't go at twelve, I would probably go at fifteen to Seattle because I had a really good conversation with their coach. Mm-hmm. So um, honestly, I was not expecting to go nine at, to Chicago. There was. A lot of other great players on the board that uh, all the mock drafts had going ahead of me and and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it was a big shock to go at nine. Hmm. Um, I wasn't expecting to go that high, but it was a it was a great feeling when it happened. So the frustrating part, and and you get to the highs and the lows, like I'm saying with the WNBA, is to come in and not have a chance to develop. It's it seems like it was sort of the worst possible version of events, right? You you go to Chicago, you're there for the entire preseason, uh, you make the opening night roster, so you don't have an opportunity to grab one of the other spots in the league, and there are only 144 roster spots, period, in the WNBA mm-hmm. with the you know remarkable amount of talent that is out there and added every day. So how, how much of a surprise was it to make that opening night roster and then just one game in be told that, uh, you know, that they were letting you go. You know, take me through that experience and, uh, you know, how it impacted, quite frankly, what has followed since in terms of your ability to grab onto another spot. Yeah, it was difficult just because the timing was really difficult. You know, I made the opening night roster. I knew that uh, Sudi and and Allie were coming back. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it was tough just because I, I kind of knew it may have been coming, but um, it was it was tough because of the timing, I would say, mostly, just because I knew there was other teams that had really, you know, really wanted me on their roster and really wanted me, you know, to come in and, and to help me develop as a player and all that kind of stuff. So I knew that there was other opportunities for me, and it was it was a, it was rough not being able to have those opportunities because I knew they were there. Yeah. Um, everybody had just made their final roster cut, so um, it was really like <laughs> no nobody's going to cut somebody right after they just cut all their other players. So right. it was in the, in those terms, it was tough um, timing. But I understand there's business decisions that have to be made, and um, you know it, it, it's tough. But you know those things have to happen. Well, you you may understand it more more than I do, and more than many people do around the league, but. We'll we'll leave that there. So <laughs> when when you when that happens, right? So 
you subsequently have signed to play professionally in Poland, and I, I want to go through that and also uh, your your role with the U23 team, which is uh, really interesting. Or excuse me, your role with Brenda Fries's team rather. But the opportunities to play, it's not. There's no straight line. It feels like for those who just came out of school. If the, if you don't grab that roster spot immediately, there's sort of a no man's land for a lot of players. Is that, A, something that you see as well, experiencing it right now, and B, how does that affect the way you think about, all right, what is my window to give this a shot, and what am I looking to achieve from it? Um, I would say it, it is difficult just because you have the summer, and, you know, you have to try and stay in shape on your own. You don't have a college team or a, a trainer to do it for you. You have to do it by yourself. Um, you have to stay motivated. You have to keep improving on your skills, even though you don't really have somebody just there focusing on what you need to improve on. But um, it's a blessing, you know. You get to go and you play overseas, and honestly, you make more money over there. Um, True. So it, it, it's definitely a, still a blessing. Uh, and I honestly, like I said, the WNBA would be an amazing opportunity, and I would, you know, cherish that moment. But also I have other goals in mind that, revolve around basketball too i want to um you know get into coaching someday and Mm -hmm. and um so i want to have a a career that way in basketball so it is you know i'll i figured i'll go play overseas this season and um you know if somebody wants to pick me up for a training camp um but next summer i'll i'll try and you know do what i can to make their roster and um i'll have some pro experience then and and hopefully, you know, overseas in the international game, um, playing in Taiwan. So I think the experience will help me next summer, and, and, and I'll give it another shot. You know, and then if that doesn't happen, and depending on how I do like going overseas away from my family, I'll either, you know, still play or I'll just um, be done with my playing career, and I will, um, you know, get into the coaching side of it. So let's talk about the coaching side, because obviously – Almost nobody's been more obviously a coach on the floor than you were during your time playing. And so that seems like a natural transition. But I I had a conversation with Carol Lawson about this, which I thought was so interesting, where she talked about the fact that because she played for an extended period of time, she was late to get into coaching. And so it's almost like there's a little bit of a balancing act you have to strike when you think about what your goals are and the way you described them. So in your mind, is this a chance to, depending on the way things go over the next couple of years, to get into coaching early? And then what are your coaching goals? Are your coaching goals to uh, be a Susie Merchant someday? Are your goals to coach at the professional level? You know, how does that end in your mind? What's the end of the rainbow? Um, well, right now, I think um, um, I would love to go and, you know, get into coaching young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's it's tougher as you get older and, you know, we want to have a family and, and all those types of things. Um, so it does get tougher, but yeah. I would love to coach with Coach Merch. I mm-hmm. mean, she, you know, she's my role model growing, you know, ever since I was, and ever since I was, um, playing for her it's like you get to watch her and, and, and really see how she balances the family and basketball and yeah. and all those type of things and it's pretty amazing so 
if I could, you know, I don't know exa- exactly, you know, her timetable for how long she wants to coach. I have no idea. But if I can get into it early enough and have the opportunity to coach with her for a couple of years and learn from her at a closer, you know, a closer standpoint, I think that would be, you know, my dream for a yeah. while. And, uh, you know, obviously you get to go and you can build a program of your own. Right. And it would be amazing to have it at Michigan State. Obviously, I'm Spartan diehard um, all the way down to the core. So it would be amazing to have it there. If not, you know, start um, at a lower level and work my way up and, and try and get back to, you know, Michigan State at some point. Yeah, obviously somewhere green and white regardless, you know, just in keeping <laughs> yeah, exactly. your career. So uh, so the final thing to talk about is just to be part of the World University Games and, and you know, another uh, terrific coach, obviously in her own right, and Brenda Fries. How did that come mm-hmm. about, and what are you looking for out of that experience just as a player? Um, it can't, uh, Tisha, my agent, actually had talked to Coach Fries at, you know, one of the – the Mystics games, or what? Or who was? It? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I won the games in DC, and um, and Tisha brought it to me and and asked if I thought it would be a cool opportunity. And and obviously, you know, anywhere you get to play basketball and you get to see the country and um, play against that level of competition, play for a coach that has that much experience. Um, it's it's something you can't really turn down. It's sure. you want to get better as a player. And I get I get to go see a part of the world I've never seen before. I get some international experience before I go to Poland. I think that'll help me out as well. Um, so I, to me, I really didn't see much downside besides, you know, I will have to be away from my family for um, three extra weeks before, you know, two weeks before I have to leave for Poland. But right. I'm young. Um, these are opportunities you can't really turn down. Right. And and, and, it, and it gets more people being able to see you, which is the other part of, you know, with, with the, the limited roster spots, even domestically, you know, that there's no D-League uh, for women's basketball as of right now. So it, it seems like, a, you know, a chance for more people to see where your game is and where it's going. It, it, did that play a part, you think, for you guys as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's tough to get in WNBA. The best, they're the best players in the world. Uh, everybody wants to try and get in there. And um, there's only 144 spots, 12 teams, I think. Yeah. There needs to be two more. And then I think, uh, you know, I think we'll be at a good number for the amount of, you know, talent that we have. I definitely think we have enough talent to field a couple more teams at least. Um, no question. But, you know. That'll come. That'll come with you know as the league grows and and becomes more you know important to more people than just you know women's basketball fans. Well, look. In the meantime, you, you, no one's going to convince me otherwise that you aren't one of the 144 most deserving. So I certainly wish you all the best of luck. A, a pleasure to talk to you, just as it's been a pleasure to watch your career develop uh, through the year story. Thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. And just a reminder to our listeners that you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. Go ahead and get the app. Search Women's Hoops and you can get 24-7 coverage of women's basketball year-round. I am Howard Megdahl wishing you a wonderful day.